I love to grow. I love to learn. You never lose. You either learn or you grow. I don't know anyone who's successful that has had everything perfect in their life. And that's some of their things that haven't went their way are the things that helps them be better in the future. By me controlling my work ethic, my attitude, and creating a life that I love, I want to help the world be kinder. I want to help the world make a difference and impact people. When your why is strong enough, your how is going to present itself. That's the voice of Tina Marie Miner, one of the all-time great district managers in the history of the Cutco Vector Marketing sales organization. Her personal story contains several key experiences of adversity, and in her career, she has also overcome plenty of challenges. A real key to her success is her strong spirit of optimism. Over the years, Tina Marie has been able to influence and develop countless others to carry her spirit forward. She's a winner in the Vector business and a winner in life. I'm happy to introduce her to you all today. This is Tina Marie Miner. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome, everybody. My guest today is Tina Marie Miner, one of the elite district managers in the Cutco Vector Marketing Sales Organization. Tina Marie has been with the company since 2001. Uh, she became a district manager in 2005, and she has been one of the top producing managers in the company. Over $16 million in career sales. Of course, she's a member of the company's Hall of Fame. In 2020, Tina Marie just finished up what was her second best year of her career, $525,000 in new business sales, $948,000 in total sales. It says a lot about her and her drive to have had such a great year as a veteran manager in the company. And uh, she's been married to her husband, Al, for about 14 years, and they live in the East Lansing, Michigan area. Tina Marie. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm excited. Thanks for having me. Yes. Thank you for making the time to be here as well. I'm really looking forward to sharing your story with our Vector team. I want to make sure that people have a chance to kind of get to know a little bit about your backstory from before you started with Cutco, because I know there's some interesting details in here. And so why don't you take us back and tell us a little bit about that? Okay, yeah. So I'm originally from Frankmuth, which is a small German town in Michigan. 
And give you an idea, it's uh, we're known for like our Christmas store and our chicken rolls, famous chicken, but it's a lot of farming community around. And I grew up, literally, my grandparents had acres and then all of us, all my parents, siblings and that lived all in the area. So literally when you would like, say, go through grandmother's, go through the woods to grandmother's house, we go, you literally could. I remember there being times growing up, my cousin and I would meet in the woods, you know, we'd talk on each other's landline and make forts and do fun stuff like that. So that was pretty cool growing up with a great community like that. My uh, dad, you worked for General Motors. My mom worked for a local company in the hometown at that time. And my dad would work nights. My mom would work days. And, you know, they just taught me that their goal was eventually have some great house on the lake, have a second home, stuff like that. So they did whatever they could for us kids and, you know, working in a way that they could help support us, but also help build their future. And, uh, when it came to school, school wasn't really, <laughs> I, I struggled with school. I had actually a speech impediment. I went to speech therapy from age three to like high school. So it wasn't really, a, it was difficult for me in school initially. So my parents kept me active in sports and my mom got me involved with dance because, you know, you could be playing those and doing them without having to worry about speaking. And I also went to a performing arts high school in Saginaw. So part of the time I'd be our local high school part-time in Saginaw for performing arts high school and then dancing there. And I was also on a co-ed soccer team. And at that time, soccer wasn't that huge in the U.S. yet. And there was definitely not many female teams. So I got to play on a co-ed team. And due to that, I had actually the opportunity to possibly be playing in college. However, my junior year in high school, I was in a serious car accident where I broke my neck and cracked my skull. So initially, I didn't even know if I would be able to walk again. And if I did, they told my parents they didn't know if I'd have severe brain injuries. I remember having a halo brace screwed in my skull for like six plus months. You go through therapy and everything. I remember getting done and asking my doctor, you know, so am I going to be able to play soccer? And, you know, he's like, no. <laughs> and, you know, versus being upset about it and thinking about what I could have done with school with going there with playing soccer, um, I was like, well, what about dance? And he's like, yeah, thumbs up. And uh, I was like, I just focused on what I could do, not what I couldn't do. When that had happened, some people may have looked at it as a bad, tough thing, a setback in life, but it really taught me how to persevere. I remember being times I'd want to give up or something like that. And my mom and dad would just like, suck it up, push through it. You can do this no matter how much pain, what it was going through. It just taught me how like when you're about ready to have a breakdown, you have a breakthrough. And Obviously, I can walk, I can move, I can see, and I'm able to do a lot of great things. So never taking that for granted. From there, I went to um, Michigan State with a kinesiology and Lansing Community College for the dance transfer program. So I could still be dancing professionally in the area. And once I got done with those two programs, fun story though, like when I went to college, it was funny, even though I had a hard time in school, some people think being a dance major, all you do is like dance all day and that's all you do. Well, you have lots of academics. You have to take a lot of other classes. And plus I was focusing on kinesiology and biomechanics and that. So had a lot of science classes. And I remember that Thanksgiving, one of my, my dad, our family has their Thanksgiving and my dad invited someone from his work because he wasn't from the area. So he wouldn't be by himself. And he's like, so how are you liking college? You know, how are you doing? I'm like pretty good. I, I right now I think I'm gonna finish the semester at a 3.9. And my parents were like, What? 
I was like, yeah, they're like, well, what happened there? I'm like, I guess because I know I'm paying for it. Um, you know, what you invested. So all of a sudden I could focus pretty well. So I, from there, I finished up two years doing those programs. I had the opportunity to go to the University of Arizona, which was one of the top dance schools, still is, and study there. And from that experience, I was introduced with the Elvin Alley Company in New York City. And it would be part of their summer programs and be dancing. And then after graduating from the University of Arizona, I took a teaching position in the Berkshires in Massachusetts, where I was teaching at a performing arts high school. And it was great in that, but I was really missing the Arizona feel and theme. And I got a call to go back to Arizona and teach at a performing arts school, nonprofit, and with that also opened up the opportunity to teach at the military base there and a couple of other schools where I could incorporate dance and programs. I also had the opportunity to work on the Tucson Arts Council where I could help develop some fine arts programs and grants to get arts more in the school systems. And I was dancing professionally still in that area because there's different companies around. So it allowed me to dance and teach and whatnot. And as a few years going into teaching that and having some undergraduate college debt, I um, realized I wasn't really going to be paying anything off anytime soon. <laughs> and I knew I always wanted to go to grad school, just kind of prove it to myself that I could do it based on some of my learning disabilities I had when I was younger. And so I decided to kind of like, in the words my mom would say, suck it up a little bit and decided to move back home and live at with my parents for a couple of years, which was pretty tough to do. I think of being on my own for so long. I was like 25 at the time, but I knew I eventually wanted to go to grad school. I had medical bills and undergraduate with everything and that came up to over about $70,000 in debt. So I didn't see it getting down any lower. So I figured it was the best decision to make. Suck up my pride a little bit, move home with mom and dad find a job, and then pursue graduate classes at Saginaw Valley State University and get my master's in leadership in public administration, which my goal was to be overall a dean of fine arts for a fine arts program. So I decided to move back home. And that's how I came back to Michigan. I did not know the depth of all that stuff. I mean, I knew that you were in dance. I knew that you were in Arizona for a while, but I didn't know all the depth of all that. And that was really cool to hear. Even going back to like you had a speech impediment as a kid and now you're in a job where speaking and influencing people is what you do on a regular basis. As a dancer, you were in some way you were it, it was a little bit of an entrepreneurial role because you were essentially in business for yourself. And that probably came into play a little bit later when you became a vector district manager. You were teaching people in dance, right? And so you were practicing a lot of the skills that you would use later on during your vector career. And then I also like the the concept that you shared about when you're experiencing a breakdown, oftentimes you're right near having a breakthrough, mm -hmm. right? That, that is a, a lot of the times where breakthroughs happen is when we are stretched to our maximum capacity and you put yourself in that position a couple times, it seems like over your early life before getting into vector. So I like that you were, you know, you're not the typical 18 year old that came into Vector uh, after high school or in the in the first year of college. You had been through college, you had been working for a number of years, and then 
vector came your way later in life. How did you hear about uh, selling Cutco? So that's a fun story because I was still in Arizona, but my mom and dad were all excited about me moving back home, but they were also not excited about having, uh, in case I needed help with my finances, obviously. So my mom started searching and she found, um, I think it was actually in the newspaper at the time, but she applied online for me a month out. So when I moved back home to Michigan, my mom was like happy to see me. But then the next day she's like, oh, you have an interview tomorrow. I'm like, for what? She's like, I don't know. Company, they have, you know, back then the starting base pay was like $14. And she says it's flexible and you're going to be a student. And they're flexible with that stuff. So it seemed like an ideal thing. So I set you up an interview. I'm like, cool. So that interview was, uh, so I, I heard about it from initially from my mom. And I interviewed in Jake Kuhn's branch office. Jake Kuhn, all right. Yeah. So Jake Kuhn's my original manager. And he, um, well, first of all, the assistant that actually interviewed me almost, this is a good story for anyone who's a new assistant or a new branch. That if you interview someone who's older or may have some education behind them, doesn't mean they don't want to work with you. But he almost didn't hire me because he would just didn't think I'd want it without realizing it. So, but still offered me the opportunity. I came to training, went through training and, uh, Everyone was so fired up and happy. And in that summer, uh, Jake finished the number seven, I think, branch in the whole nation that year. And I was his number one rep in that office. Um, I started June 9th, essentially. And then um, before school started, well, I was taking classes still during that summer. But that campaign, I sold just under $40,000 of Cutco. Wow. 40K summer right out of the gate. That's so cool. Awesome. Yep. What were some of the experiences that you feel like stand out from those early days? Uh, one, it was just really like everyone's so fired up. They're the, the high fives and like positivity where my previous careers and jobs and that people were like kind of hoping for you not to do well. Here, everyone was wanting you to mm. do well and succeed. And, and it was authentic. It was real. It wasn't in return. Jake was a young 21-year-old running his branch, getting promoted DM. And it was exciting for me to see such a young adult create something so awesome. And the team bond he developed that summer was outstanding. I mean, so that's one. Another one sticks out to me is field training. I remember field training because I remember getting done with my first couple of days and you know, I had that feeling like, oh, it's just the people I'm seeing or they're getting bigger orders because they their families are rich or, you know, something like that crazy. And I remember going field training with this one girl and she was doing really well. And I was like, what the heck? What's going on? So I remember going with her and doing a presentation in a very modest home. And she just took her time. She spoke slowly. <laughs> she when she read the script, she read it word for word. And, you know, I was like, I read it word for word too. I didn't get the same orders. It must be my people, you know? But she would like, when she'd ask a question like, do you cut tomatoes or something like that? She actually let them listen or answer. I mean, she let them answer. And I was like, oh, that's what I'm missing. I'm just kept on talking. You know, when it came to asking for the order, I was so scared of the asking order to hearing, seeing the asking order. I just like, so here we have another set where she was like, so how does that sound? And she was like, quiet. I'm like, oh. I'm like, she's being quiet. And, you know, they're just doing exactly what they taught us to do in training where 
I was putting these, assuming they would just want once. And so I just continued dropping down. So I was learning how to drop down and just be confident. And it doesn't matter who you are, just take your time with a script. So glad I went field training after that first weekend because I'm pretty confident I wouldn't have sold 40 grand that summer while being a student. But in return, because of what I did for me, it got me more excited to take other people field training to go with me because I wanted to be able to impact them the same way. I think that summer I took over 50 people field training. So um, I I just figured if I'm doing demos, I had them already booked up. I had the time zone and then people, you know, back then we were doing them face to face. So they would just meet me. They had to drive where now it's simple because all you have to do is get on the phone or on a Zoom and you can watch. You don't have to worry about driving in a different city because I live about 45 minutes north of my office. And I also lived about 30 minutes south of my college. So what I enjoyed about the position was I had that flexibility with spacing and that where I was doing my appointments. Mm, So Um, cool. Yeah. And another thing that probably, let me see, that first summer, there's so many things because it's so like fun that first summer when you get started. That's why I get so excited for new managers because it's so cool with what you can create. That first summer, I remember my first SC2 and I came in just under 10K in sales. I remember just giving my push report of T-Bone, Tina Marie Cooper from the Flint town, Flintstones or something like that. And then just like, meeting Marty Dimitrovich for the first time there and Jeff Fry, who was a division manager at the time. And then we had a follow-up conference at the Conference of Champions in St. Louis and finishing the top three sales rep against next to like Tara Rivard at the time, now Chody and Brad Weimer. And just remembering Marty Dimitrovich, knowing that I was nervous being up there and him coming up next to me, he's like, hey, you're okay. Would you mind showing me your report? And back then we just wrote it on our hands. So we'd have it. And I showed it to him. He's like, he's like, not a bad report, regardless, you know, no matter where you finish, you have a bright future here. And I was like, I already had heard the story about Marty and what he had overcame. So I felt really connected with him. And um, for him to think that I could do something here made me feel really special. Yeah. Wow. I guess the lessons I learned there also helped with when I got promoted as a new DM, that's summer opening up my own office was so special. I remember that year, my first eight months on the job, we finished off just under half a million in new mm-hmm. and finished in top three new districts next to Trey Ketchum and Jake Bailey. We, th- the three of us also were pilots the years previously together. So that was cool seeing that, but just building something, you know, I, being able to see what Jake did and then do it for myself, I was able to work as a pilot, which is if you ever have the opportunity to be a pilot manager with your division manager, it's a great experience because you learn so much. I learned so much from Chris, but creating something like from nothing and creating it from scratch. You know, I think of my, I, I remember 2006, I promoted my first, you know, managers and my assistant manager that summer was Justin Marks, who's now a CSP in the Western region. And uh, he was my assistant that summer. And then in 2007, he went out and branched and, you know, finished in the top couple branches in our region, did over 120 in Port Huron, Michigan. Seeing him grow and develop his team and entourage of people and uh, us develop this great mega district. Uh, In 2007, the year I got married, I had nine managers go out, five which were like under that would tab for me because I also, because being from Michigan State, I have some people that would go through my management training 
that were from other offices because they went to school there. And, um, you know, my district that did a million that year, just my, that was just like a year and a half after being promoted or, and then those people, if you included them, it would have been 1.6 million that summer. And just thinking of what we created in that time. And I got married that fall and it was cool being able to live the dream and my reps, my assistants and every, my management staff just loved the fact that they were like almost excited for me to go on vacations because they wanted to see how well they could do while I was gone. And it was so cool to see them build that confidence so they can use that same experience for the future for their own offices or their own businesses or, you know, whatever they do, they just kept on building confidence. It was so cool to see it. And that group still today is really close. So it's cool to see that. So that's one of my other things that are my highlights. I should probably yeah, say. Those are great. So did you, you continued in selling and then as an assistant and then as a pilot manager with Chris Heigl for a few years, was this during grad school? Yeah, grad school I did. I sold for two years and was an assistant with Jake. So that was during grad school. And then I became Chris's pilot in 2003 to 2005. And then got I got it. promoted in 2005. Why did you yeah. decide to become a DM? I think because I knew I could create a bigger picture. I could impact more lives. I, at first, I was a little bit nervous, not, not knowing, didn't know if I could create the financial success I wanted. But I knew that I had already did all the training. Um, I remember at one point in time talking to Chris saying, I, maybe, I, maybe I shouldn't be a DM. Maybe I should just sell. And he's like, T, you're not going to allow yourself not to succeed. Now, that's the one thing I know about you. And yeah, it, it worked out pretty good. What do you feel like were the most valuable lessons that stand out from your experiences? I really feel very fortunate that um, when I started, Tim McCready was my region manager. Well, when I became a DM, Tim McCready was my region manager. Jeff Rye was my RSD. And Jeff or Chris Heigl was my division manager. And I love the fact that they were so about helping you be successful both in the business and outside the business. Yeah. You know, for me, I start, I said before I started with Cutco, I had over $70,000 in debt. And I would have never imagined being able to pay that off within rest of it off within a couple of years being a DM. And Tim was so good about laying a foundation of expenses. And this is what, these are your expenses. This is how you figure out your break even. This is how you can make more. And then Chris, obviously as a division manager, backed that up, but also looking into where my business model, where I needed to improve, like either it was in recruiting or efficiency or quality or productivity or train, if it was a training thing, or if it was an interview thing. And then we had Jeff who had these great programs that kept me like excited about working because I was always learning and growing. And there was something always new to work on in the business and get better at. And I don't think I would have ever had the confidence thinking that I could have paid off that much stuff in such a short time and make the goals and plans that I needed to, to accomplish that. Like what Tim had laid out for us. I was very fortunate that way. In fact, I remember one of the lessons he taught me was I was wanting to get married. And I remember sitting down with Chris Heigl and made my three-year vision plan from when I was a new DM. And I said, you know, in 2007, I want to get married. And 2006, I want my husband proposed to me, you know, and like figure these things out. And Tim being involved with everything, you know, he says, these are your goals, but where are you financially? And he is like, you want to make sure that 
we want, let's map out what we can do so you can go into this marriage without having all that debt behind you. And when you have the dream wedding you want, make sure that it's covered and paid for before you go down the aisle versus mm-hmm. some people pay it afterwards. And just learning those little life lessons that I would have never thought of thinking of and them helping teach me and coach me and present a business model that helped me do that. So, and they do that for others. Yeah. You know, I can remember way back uh, into the, m- some of my earlier days in the business that Tim McCready was always one of the guys that would teach people about finances. And Chris Heigl became like the go-to Mm-hmm. guy in our company that taught people about managing finances and just being smart about that side of how you operate. And you could just tell that those were guys that would invest in you, not because they were thinking about what they would get from it, but because they just really wanted to help other people to do well and to live the same kind of lives that they were living. And um, I feel like that's one of the reasons why all of us have stayed in Vector so long. It's probably one of the reasons why you've stayed here so long is that you've had people like that in your life that have invested in you on a personal level and not just teaching you about the basics of the Vector business. Yes, I would agree with that. Yeah, that's you know, cool. Vector, I don't know if you remember Vector U, Vector sure. University with Marty D. I think it was in 2006. We took life or I found out that, you know, in good cases, I'm always supportive giving. And when things are more stress and more controlling taking. And I was like, so what does that mean? And, and Marty explained that, you know, you're able to support those ahead of you and lead that way by supporting them. And then when things are coming into stress, you have no problem of stepping up and leading that way. So that's one of the things I feel that I've been able to thrive with in the company with being able to support those around me and ahead of me. And then in, in times of need that when they really need me, I'm able to step up. Yeah, awesome. What are some of the challenges that you feel like you've had to overcome during your Cutco career? Originally, I think it was seeing people that have so much potential and then not give it their all or, you know, finish it. And and now it's like I, I look at it, you know, I learned the words of positive dissatisfaction and versus frustration, fascination. And the key is, is that, you know, we're a stepping stone employer for people. So I'm just going to be a positive impact on them. If they need something in the future, I'm here for them. But know that I'm going to give them my best training and my best that I can at the time. And as a result, they'll remember that I had their back and that I believed in that they could do more. But, you know, I respected that, you know, they're moving on. That was one of the things I had a hard time too with at the beginning is people leaving or not wanting to take it as a career like I did. But now I look at, you know, people from, like I said, even that first my first four years, and I have people from other years too I could talk about, but those guys and seeing them and seeing where they're flourishing with what they do now, it makes me so proud and happy. And we all are still close. So it's awesome. Yeah. I think that when somebody in Vector is still sort of fighting the fight to be as successful as they feel like they need to be to have the lifestyle they want and the things they want and achieving their goals it's easier to take it personally when somebody who you're developing leaves the business and doesn't sort of follow you in the business and stay with you. Once somebody has achieved a level of success at Vector where you're comfortable and you're feeling really good about everything, you really begin to get more of an abundance mentality. And the focus on the people that you have is to just give them what you have to give. And you understand that they're going to take what they want. And some will take a little and some will take a lot and some will take none. And others will stay with you long term. 
And there'll be others who you feel like have all the potential in the world to be great as a district manager in the company. And they, they choose a different path. And it's all okay when you have this abundance mentality and you have enough success you know, happening in your life that you don't really worry about that stuff. And, you know, I think for any young manager coming up in the business, or even for some of our younger division managers right now, right, that's an instructive point for people to realize is that, uh, you know, you, you will feel pain when people leave. You'll feel more of it initially. The more successful you get, the more established you get, the more you realize it's just a part of life. It's a part of our business. We develop people who leave and that's okay. And if you do a great job, you're going to also develop people who stay and you're going to have a great organization. Absolutely. And that's cool. Yeah. What other challenges stand out during your days as a district manager? In 2009, I had the opportunity to be the first active district manager to um, have the Cutco store. And I actually was an employee with the company for a while. And that was a new thing for me because obviously I knew the direct sales part. I knew how to succeed there. I hadn't, didn't know how to coach necessarily people with adding something new and different. And so I was managing both the store and the direct sales part for a few years. And then obviously that was, it's changed now where we have someone who runs a store. There's no district manager running it. And it's there primarily for customer service for past customers, which is nice. But um, just like coaching my people and their emotions, because there were different types of emotions that I had experienced beforehand. And again, versus looking at that as not, it was challenging, but I grew a lot and I learned a lot from it. So it helped me be a better coach later on where I am today. And we've developed many great people through that level. You know, Justin Marks, as I mentioned earlier, we have also CSPs like Luke Fastic and John Fastic and Will Bond, who's a district manager was through that management core that when we first started that um, were with me. So, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. The, the, the East Lansing Cutco store, was that the very first one? Well, Erie was the original first oh, one. And then Erie. I was the first one to like test as a district manager doing it. So that was a different, unique way, but I learned a lot. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> so yeah, it was cool. Um, yeah. Uh, if I had to say there was another challenge, probably more recent, is understanding how to handle grief while running a business. But, you know, I think those experiences helped me work through that. I had lost my father, which, you know, I had lost family members beforehand, didn't even know the dynamic that would play in me mentally-wise and wanting to support my family, but yet also my business. So that's where, you know, I had people like Jeff Fry that was very supportive and helping me go through it. People like John Kane. Those were some of the challenges I had because when you deal with that, you, sometimes you try not to be vulnerable, but you really need to learn to be vulnerable and let people in and to be able to get through it and uh, still not lose yourself and who you are and that. So I would say that would probably be the, the one that comes most recent. Yeah. I think that those kind of experiences are, well, they're very strange and unique experiences, losing a parent. And I've lost both of mine at this point. And everybody goes through it in a different way. There's no right or wrong way to go through it. Mm -hmm. uh, I do feel, though, that when you, go, when you can go through it with some degree of transparency, where you are okay, like bringing people that you work with 
into the reality that this is happening to you and talking about it, bringing it up, you know, sharing stories or sharing some of your feelings that you're having and letting people sort of live, live a little bit of that experience with you. Number one, I think it's helpful to the person doing that, but also it's, it's helpful to other people who are seeing this happen for you because all the kids that we work with, they're all going to lose their parents at some point. They're all going to experience grief. They're all going to need to learn how to deal with those things. And if it's the very first time they've ever experienced something like that, it's harder for them. If they've seen a leader that they admire go through this experience and deal with it and talk about it from time to time and be vulnerable. I do think that there's a lot that can be helpful to other people when we live those experiences in a way that that is vulnerable and that uh, you know brings other people into the experience with us. I agree. As tough as that is to do, mm-hmm. right? It's definitely not easy, but I do think it's worthwhile. Jeff Bry has described Tina Marie, this spirit of optimism that you have. And I'm wondering where you feel that came from. And and also I would ask you, how have you maintained that during, you know, really tough times like you just described? Well, one, knowing that no matter what, I'll get through it. I'll push through it. Something comes from back growing up with my family. Two is that even those years as a newer DM, learning those skills of a budget, how to take the emotions out. When emotions are high, tend to be logic slow. So like make things like look at what is in front of me and where I need to work on myself. I love to grow. I love to learn. If you're learning, you're growing. You never lose. You either learn or you grow. That's the way I say it. You just find a way. I don't know anyone who's successful that has had everything perfect in their life. And that's some of their things that haven't went their way are the things that helps them be better in the future. And I just know that I feel that I want to help the world be kinder. I want to help the world make a difference and impact people. And by me controlling my work ethic, my attitude and creating a life that I love, ultimately, every morning I wake up and I have these affirmations and these mantra written up on my mirror in my room. And it's about I'm thankful and grateful for all these, my people, everything they're going through. And then if I know they're having struggles from the day beforehand and I'm putting it into that atmosphere that thank you for helping them with this and whatnot. So I just think what other option is there? Mm -hmm. It's clear there is another option because not everybody is optimistic. There are a lot of people I know who are cynical and negative all the time. And I think that it's important to reframe challenges the way that you just described. You also talked about the feeling that no matter what, I'll, I'll get through. I think it's helpful for people to have that mentality that, you know, hey, life's going to throw this and that at us and it's going to happen and we'll get through those things until the one that we don't get through. And then, you know, it's uh, the people behind us and people left behind are the ones that have to deal with that. But uh, when you also shared that when emotions are high, logic is low. And I do think it's helpful to be able to take a step back from challenge rather than react emotionally to be able to take a step back where you're almost like you're looking down at your life and can see it happening and can think a little more clearly about what should I do in this moment? How should I handle this? And then you also talked about the importance of constantly learning, Tina Marie, which is certainly a part of being able to handle anything in life better, is if you you feel like you're growing and improving as a person, you tend to feel more optimistic about your future. And this certainly helps people to 
overcome difficulties as they come along. Oh yeah, 100%. I want to ask you, Tina Marie, about how you view your role as one of the most prominent women leaders in Vector and what message you might want to send to all the young women managers and reps who are listening. You just lead. You do what you need to do. If it, if it was your if it was your family, if it was a close friend, if it was your significant other, you have to be the person that sometimes is the person that steps up to the plate. For I've been very fortunate. I always told my managers what I wanted and they helped by me communicating with them. They helped me get more of what I wanted, helped me show me how to do it. You can be as you can thrive in the business at any level you want. My recommendation is, is, you know, it's easy to have written down what you want to see your life be and, and how you want to live the life you love. But it's easy when there's a sales report or something like that, that you might forget that. So make sure you stay grounded with that and what you want to create. Because as long as you do that and keep true to yourself, when your why is strong enough, your how is going to present itself. We hear that all the time with people when they speak. And as for women, we can do whatever we want in this business, X, Y, or Z. Just keeping that door open. Don't close the door. We have some managers in our region right now just blowing things up, doing amazing things. And then we have these managers, they're, maybe they're not even in the top 20, but they've already beaten what some of our other managers had done last year at this time. So it's like, don't lose sight of what you're creating is still good. Mm-hmm. So because you're not number one doesn't mean you aren't developing something pretty exciting and you got to focus on your growth and getting better. Don't get too wrapped up in the sales report because sometimes that can mentally hold you back. Focus on getting better. You know, every week if it's a recruiting number or if it's efficiency number, if it's a productivity number, I mean, there's always something for us to work on. I mean, it changes campaign to campaign. And the fact that now we're in more of the virtual world, it allows us so awesome and, in, and embrace change. I think sometimes people have a hard time handling change. And I love it. I learned that's what I like about it because it forces me to learn even more and get better at it. I looked at when things happened this summer with team meetings, it made me more committed about bringing the goods to my team meeting because I knew I was doing more than just impacting them with Cutco. I knew I was impacting them for their mental state for how they're handling this. So I wanted to give them something new every single week. And I would research and I would watch YouTubes and I would listen to other documentaries and stuff, something to give them something that I knew they wanted to keep on coming back for. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I like what I like what you said about just focusing on what you can do because everybody has different circumstances in life and everybody has different circumstances in the business. And the idea of looking at what the, the amount of time somebody else has, for example, and saying, well, shoot, how am I going to compete with them? Like they're working 15 hours a day. I'm not going to do that because I have this in my life or that in my life or whatever it might be. That's counterproductive to success. I was just discussing this with one of the top district managers in the Western region recently, you know, who's looking at a couple of the younger, newer district managers that are out there working these really long days. He knows they're working really hard and he's not willing to do that because he's got kids and of family and other things. And I'm like, you can kick their butt anyway. And you, you learn how to do it through development. You learn how to do it through delegation, right? You focus on what you can do and you focus on your own growth. As you said, focusing on competition can be both good and bad. 
in Vector. I do think it's important because it at least enables us to try to focus on being the best that we can be. But in the end, you have to set your own goals and you have to strive to hit your own goals and you can't control what anybody else does. And if you set a specific goal for the year in the company and you go out and you make that happen, you should feel very, very, very proud regardless of what anyone else did. If somebody else doubled you, so what? They have a different life and different circumstances and that's okay. So those concepts to me uh, resonated, Tina Marie. Yeah. I'm interested to hear about uh, your husband, Al, and uh, just like what role he has played for you and anything that you would enjoy sharing about him. I'd love to hear about it. Well, yeah, he, he's played a major role. I probably wouldn't be where I'm at right now if it wasn't for him. I remember we didn't start dating till 2002. So I've been working with the company for about a year and I was an assistant with Jake at the time. Jake Kuhn. And then, but then when I was a pilot for Chris, he wanted to really understand what I was doing so he could help support me. He actually went through training with Chris Heigl to support me, you know, like to know, understand what we were doing. He to- still tells people he's like $40 <laughs> away from his first promotion. Um, and just, he has a very strong work ethic. He's in the IT world. Originally, when I went to be Chris's pilot in pilot sales manager, I originally wanted to be in Saginaw to run an office because at that time, Al had just bought a house in Saginaw and but I had the opportunity to pilot and that would have maybe made that territory open. But because I had communicated with Chris, which is another great example of being a woman in the business, taking him working in your best interest, he kept it open for me so I could go back there. And then when it came to me to get promoted in 2005, Chris offered me the opportunity to have the greater Lansing, East Lansing territory. And I was like, oh, you know, my husband was living in Saginaw. We had our house, well, boyfriend at the time, but had our house there. His career was there, job. And I was like, he offered me this, but I'm like, that would be a surprise. He's like, dude, you got to take it. And he's like, our love's strong enough. We'll be able to handle anything. And I, uh, well, yeah, therefore went to Lansing for my, district career because it was following the path of wanting me to advance with the company and get promoted and develop the kind of district I was looking to develop. Mm -hmm. And then uh, my husband was willing to sell our house during the housing bubble, you could call it, but the worst time to be selling a house, I guess. (laughs) And, but just to support me and continuously does that. And, you know, has also taken different positions so he could help support me even if it meant him taking a pay cut if it needed to be or anything that positively support me. In fact, we talked about one challenging thing was, I think you mentioned it a little bit earlier, was I had the opportunity to take over Steel City at the time. And my husband had just literally, I think a week beforehand, signed a contract with the state of Michigan. And then I got offered Steel City a week afterwards. And that was a point that to get promoted as a division manager, is ultimate my ultimate goal, but like at the time it just didn't feel like it was right yet. Mm-hmm. And getting back moving forward, that next summer my dad passed away. So if I would have moved, I wouldn't have been so close. So when I say I feel sometimes things if they don't go the way you want, there's a reason, and this just kind of tells me it was all happened the way it should happen. So yeah. looking at it like that. <laughs> yeah. Cool. 
as I giggle afterwards, which doesn't sound very giggable. <laughs> <laughs> giggleable. We just coined a new word right there. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Well, it, it's, it was neat to hear a little bit about how Al has supported you at such a great level along the way. And I think that... Oh, yeah. uh, My anybody... would say, like, they think he really got engaged with our development at the beginning and that, and they still to this day, like, think of Al, like, family. I remember one event, someone got in a little bit of trouble, and they didn't even call me, because we were at our CFC. They called my husband to help them out, because they didn't want to deal with me. So I was like, we're the parents. So it was fun. So. Yeah. Nice. Well, for anybody that's, that has that that sort of supportive relationship, uh, you know that it makes such a huge difference in, in everything that you do. So really, really cool. Well, Tina Marie, this has been great. I've enjoyed being able to hear a lot about your story and your lessons. As, as uh, you look ahead down the road, what are you most excited about? I'm just excited for the future. I just am excited to see where we take this. I mean, it's so awesome to see all the growth we did. I'm so so proud and impressed of our company and all of our leaders of how we dug right in and took an embrace the virtual world. And it's forcing us to be better leaders and better managers and teachers. And I'm just excited for the future and to serve. So yeah, great. Well, I'm excited to be able to share your story with the uh, Vector team. This has been a lot of fun. You have a lot of cool stories from your career and good lessons that have come out of it. And I've enjoyed this and uh, hope you have too. Thanks for being part of the podcast. Thank you. That was Tina Marie Miner, everyone. I enjoyed being able to hear the uh, different circumstances in which she started working with Cutco and Vector, at least different from the typical college student, 18, 19-year-old rep that we have and the path that she took leading up to her Cutco career. And then, of course, the legendary family tree that she has here in Cutco from people like Marty Dimitrovich and Chris Heigl and Jeff Bry and Tim McCready, such great legends. Jake Kuhn as her original manager, just great legends that she got to work with in those early days. She chose to get into management, she said, because she wanted to impact more lives. That's a great testament to the district manager position and to what we do here as leaders in Cutco and Vector. In asking her about her spirit of optimism, she said, well, how else could you be? There's no other way to be. And I just think that's a good mentality to understand. It's like being optimistic is just a better way to live than the opposite. And despite the challenges that we all are experiencing, maintaining a positive outlook, continuing to look forward continuing to set goals, continuing to grow and learn, all important keys to success. Tina Marie has become a great role model for a lot of the young women leaders in our company. And it was really cool to hear uh, a little bit about her husband, Al, and the role that he has played as she has progressed in the Vector Cutco business. I want to take a moment to share one quick lesson that struck me as I was listening to Tina Marie share a few of her stories early in the interview. She mentioned that when she went to her job interview, the assistant manager who was interviewing her seemed insecure about whether or not she would even want to take the job. That assistant manager was assuming that because Tina Marie was already 25 or 26 years old, that she would view the job differently than our 
typical college student recruit. Later, when Tina Marie talked about doing her first demos, she was saying she was reading her outline, but she was having hesitation with asking for the order, right? She was likewise assuming that maybe the customer wouldn't be interested. Maybe they would not feel good about being asked if they wanted to get something. I think these are mistakes that people often make in life. And when I think about this concept, I think about one of my all-time favorite books called The Four Agreements. And one of the four agreements is don't make assumptions. When we make assumptions about how other people feel around us, we are imposing our way of viewing the world on other people. And the reality is that other people do not view the world in the same way that we do. In fact, they often view it very differently than we do. And what makes a lot more sense as opposed to making assumptions is to learn to ask good questions. Learn to ask good questions that help us get to know about the people who are around us. I think about if you're a vector manager interviewing somebody who's not the typical college student recruit, you tell them a little bit about the job and what we offer, and then you ask them, does that sound like something you'd like more information about? They say yes. Great. You give them the more information throughout the longer interview process, right? And then we ask, how do you feel about that? I like it. Great. Would you like to get started with us? Boom. Somebody doing a Cutco demo. Same thing as you present an option to the customer. If you ever feel a little bit of that insecurity building up about asking for the order, present an option to the customer and you might even ask them sort of a bridge question like, how does that sound? And they say, actually sounds pretty good. Well, great. Would you like to go ahead and get it? Right. Then we ask for the order specifically. So learning to ask good questions to gain information about how people around us are feeling is a very important thing that we can do rather than constantly making assumptions about how people around us are feeling. This applies every day over and over again, many times a day in life. And it certainly applies in business. Don't make assumptions. Learn instead to ask questions to find out how people around you are feeling, how they are viewing things, and to gain an insight into their perspective. I want to thank Tina Marie Miner for making the time to share her story with the uh, audience here today. I enjoyed getting to know her. I hope you did as well. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives.